great news. So our expenses came in. Let's see if I can say this right. Let me just look at the thing. Um, we didn't spend more than you gave, I think is the way. So, yeah, praise God. I think that's the best way to put it. So, um, yeah, so continue to give generously if you're able to as God leads you. So thank you for that. It's good. Um, I want to thank Josh, Kate, uh, everyone who was involved, giving food, helping out with the challenge at home. I mean, we just really showed and didn't just say that we love Boone, but, but showed that we love Boone and, and uh, heard a lot of amazing things from people outside of our church this week um, about the work y'all did. So um, that was great. Keep looking for opportunities, um, everyone, for ways to serve our community. It's a weird time we're in. Um, so look for maybe strange ways, different ways to serve people and love people than you would normally. All right, so we're going to be in Genesis today, Genesis 30, uh, the end of chapter 30 and all of 31. So you can start turning over there. But um, I was thinking about how human nature is to, to go about manipulating situations, running away, fighting, getting revenge, and defending ourselves. And, and kids instinctively do those things, right? I mean, they instinctively know how to manipulate, right? If... if, if uh, if Joy doesn't get the answer she wants from me, she'll go to Heather. You know, if, you, if, if the kid doesn't get the answer they want from one parent, oh, I'll just go to the other parent, try to manipulate the situation, right? They instinctively do that. I didn't teach Joy how to do that, I don't think. I didn't teach you that, did I? <laughs> okay. I mean, they also instinctively hit, punch, and kick each other when they're upset. I'm pretty sure I didn't teach them that either, Okay. <laughs> Kids also instinctively get revenge, right? She called me stupid. Well, why did you call him stupid? Well, he called me dumb. You know, it's just getting back at each other. They also instinctively are experts at defending themselves, right? Great lawyers. Kids make great lawyers. It's all their fault. They made me do it. It's human nature, though, not just for kids, for all of us to manipulate, to run away, to fight, to get revenge, to get defensive. But humans are by nature sinful, and we naturally play by these rules, and these rules aren't of God. These are the devil's rules to relationships. Now, as we're jumping into Genesis 30 and 31 today, I've entitled this The Devil's Guide to Relationships. So this is like one of those messages of like what not to do. Okay? And it's fascinating to me, uh, the more I parent, I realize that um, a large part of the battle in being a good parent is just not reacting in a childish way to childish behavior. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like when they're freaking out, if I can stay calm, it, it, it probably goes well. So Jacob, Laban, and Rachel all act like children in this passage. They they manipulate, they run away, they fight, they get revenge, they get defensive. And they, they show us a great pattern of what not to do and what not to follow. So let's look at this, the passage. Starting in chapter 30, verse 25, we see Laban starting to manipulate. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. 
But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything if you will do this one thing for me. It's kind of passive-aggressive there. Oh, don't give me anything, but give me this. Um, I will again pass to your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. So, so far, so good. They're, they're coming up with a great agreement. Then it turns sour. Verse 35, but that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons and set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Laban manipulates. He finds a loophole in the agreement. Right away, before Jacob can get to it, he takes all the ones that were supposed to be Jacob's and puts a three days distance between him and Jacob. He wants to beat him at his own game. Manipulation. And then we see Jacob manipulate the situation right back though. Verse 37, then Jacob took fresh sticks. This is really weird, okay? Pay attention to this. One of the strangest stories in the Bible. It's fascinating. Um, Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves, uh, he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Verse 41, whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Again, one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. Okay, Jacob thinks that by putting striped sticks in front of the livestock, that while they're breeding, that they will then have striped babies. There's, there's nothing genetic or scientific about that that doesn't actually work, okay? And it, it, was, it was basically the equivalent today of an old wives' tale, okay, that, that they believed, kind of a superstition. And Jacob tries to manipulate the situation by doing it, but thankfully God, being gracious as he is, intervened even with Jacob's manipulation and made this thing work. And Jacob finally comes around to admitting this, or maybe he knew it all along. It doesn't seem like it, though. It seems like he's just twisting the situation to try to serve himself. But uh, 
in the next chapter, uh, in verse 9, it says, Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Jacob's talking to his wives. He's saying, hey, God did this. God made these, these uh, livestock, when they bred in front of these sticks, become spotted and speckled. So God gave me the wealth that I got. And here's the point. Both Laban and Jacob childishly and sinfully tried to manipulate the situation. But God had his way even through their childish scheming. All right, so there's the first thing not to do, manipulate. Second rule of the devil for relationships, run away. Things get tough, run away. Genesis 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that our father, all of our that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, "Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you." Now, verses four through thirteen, Jacob explains to Rachel and Leah why he's leaving, why we're going away from your dad, and it's good and it's of God. Pick up in verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us. And he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Now I want you to remember this. And kind of put it in your hip pocket for later. But Rachel and Leah are really bitter towards their dad. Okay, and we learn in verse 15 why they're bitter. They're bitter because he sold them. He tricked them. He manipulated the whole situation with marriage. Remember, he was supposed to marry Rachel. Jacob worked seven years to marry Rachel. And then Laban switches out for Leah. And then makes him work seven more years for Rachel. So, Leah and Rachel aren't on good terms themselves, and they certainly aren't on good terms with their dad because of that whole situation. So they're bitter at him because of that, but they're also bitter because they didn't get something of an inheritance. Now, it wasn't probably an inheritance. It was probably more a dowry, which was money or or possessions given when you get married. Uh, Apparently, Laban didn't do it. Whatever this thing was, Laban didn't give it to him. So they're bitter Remember that for later. Let's keep reading verse 17. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock and his possession that he had acquired in Padanaram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods, and Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had, and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. So what's wrong with this? God told Jacob to leave, right? He has God's blessing. Well, yes. But God didn't say, hey, Jacob, sneak away without telling Laban. God had no part in that. God just said to leave. He didn't say leave on bad terms with Laban. But he does. Jacob knew that tensions were high with Laban. And instead of working through it, he ran away like a coward. That's what happens here. Verse 20, it says that he tricked Laban. In Hebrew, it literally said he stole away his heart. Think about it. If your daughter's just up and left without saying goodbye, it would rip your heart out. 
He stole away his heart. He runs away without even attempting to make peace or to leave in peace. And this is the devil's guide to relationships. Run away, avoid, hide, escape. You want terrible relationships? Run away every time. All right, so we've got manipulate, run away. Next, we got some fighting, or at least a desire to fight. God steps in and prevents it. Otherwise, we would have had a WWE wrestling match here. Verse 22, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. He's after him. He's pursuing him. But God came to Laban there, I mean, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Laban here chases after Jacob, basically to beat him up. Okay? And Laban is rightfully angry. They left without saying goodbye. But his hot pursuit is a fit of rage that really is more like a response the devil would want us to have. Fighting. I'm mad. Throat punch. I mean, it's just reactionary, childish in nature. So it reminded me a lot of Incredibles 2. So check this out. It's a fun movie. You should see it. You're welcome, kids. I knew there would be a lot of kids here, so I had to give you something today, all right? But that's, that's what Laban's doing here. You, get, you don't really catch that right away when you're leave, reading the text, but Laban was, was going to go all jack-jack on him if God didn't intervene. But he does intervene. He tells, hey, Jacob, or hey, Laban, don't say anything good or bad. And obviously he said something good or bad. So... But he wasn't disobedient to that. So what does that mean? It was an expression. And what it means is he was, God was telling Laban, hey, don't do anything to Jacob. Don't, don't touch him. So he doesn't. Jacob listens and he cites God even as the reason in verse 29 for not going jack-jack on him. And he makes it clear, though, that, hey, I would have thrown down if it wasn't for God. The point is that Laban childishly and sinfully was going to fight. But God had his way, even through his childish response. So we've got manipulation, running away, fighting. Next we've got 
Revenge. Verse 30. And now you have gone away because you have longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. 33, so Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about that tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Rachel is bitter towards her dad, remember? She's bitter about the handling of the marriage and the whole inheritance dowry thing, so she steals these household gods, which clearly tells us something about Laban. He's not worshiping Yahweh, the true God. But that's kind of besides the point here. Rachel maybe has a good luck charm, or maybe just to spite Laban. Either way, she's getting revenge. Goes and takes these, these household gods, and they would have been about yay, not, not very big. These, think of like little figurines, maybe little Barbie dolls, that size, um, shaped like these so-called gods. But she takes a step further and uses her so-called period to hide them. I don't know where they're at. And she, at this point, she's afraid because now her husband also says, hey, if we've got them, that person will be killed. So she obviously doesn't want to get killed. Situation's a mess. It's complicated. But the point is that Rachel childishly and sinfully gets revenge on Pops. You treat me like trash, Dad, I'm going to treat you like trash, Dad. Getting revenge. Lastly, we have Jacob defending himself. Verse 36, Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have, you, what have you found of all our household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day. The heat consumed me and the cold by night. And my sleep fled from my eyes these 20 years. I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Now some of what Jacob says is true. A lot of what he says is true. But he spins it to make it sound like he has nothing to own. It's all your fault, Laban. Self-justification. I'm innocent. Everyone else is wrong except me. His inner lawyer kicked in. And he becomes really defensive. And I love what pastor and author Paul Tripp says. 
He says it's natural for us to think of ourselves as more righteous than we are. It's natural to blame our wrongs on others. It's natural to say our behavior was caused by some difficult circumstances we were in. It's natural to exercise our inner lawyers and defend ourselves when we're confronted with a sin, weakness, or failure. It's natural to turn the tables when being confronted and tell our accusers that they are surely bigger sinners than we are. That's what Jacob does here. His natural inner lawyer makes a strong case because he wants to just wipe his hands from this situation. It's not my fault. It's all his fault. He wants to make himself look better than Laban. Now the truth is that Laban and Jacob both have relational junk that they need to own, as we've already seen today. And 99.9% of the time, you and I, in the relationships we are in, also have things we can and should own. We need, to, we need to not be like Jacob and fire our inner lawyers, lay down our pride, and start to own our stuff. Live a life of true repentance before God and with other people. So I want to end with a couple things for today. What do we do with this? I want to end with some comfort and with a couple warnings. So the comfort is that God's plan can't be ruined by your relational screw-ups. That is incredibly comforting because all of these things we've talked about today, we all do regularly if we're honest with ourselves and with one another, right? But God still makes Jacob, he changes his name to Israel and he becomes the father of God's chosen people. Defensive, manipulative, conniving, flighty Jacob gets that honor. Why? Because God promised that to Abraham and to Isaac and now to Jacob. And he's following through on his plans and his promises. And they are always greater than our mistakes. So if you've screwed up majorly, maybe over and over relationally in your life, you haven't ruined God's plans. That is, this is great news for you. There is hope. And maybe you're really anxious about what's going to happen. Maybe there's relationships in your life that are really tense. Maybe with a son or with a daughter, a mom, dad, friend, coworker, boss. Find comfort in the fact that God will redeem any future mistakes you make as well. Not as an excuse to not do well in those relationships, but just find comfort that you, you don't have to live in all this anxiety. What if I screw it up? What if I screw it up? What if I screw it up? No, here's the thing. You will screw it up a bit. We're naturally sinful. We naturally are terrible at relationships, but God makes beauty from ashes. What we intend for terrible ends, for terrible things, God turns around for good, as we'll see with, the, with Joseph later in Genesis. See, Jesus died for our relational screw-ups. Reconciliation with God is possible. But I want you to look at this cross. So this cross here has two bars. When it comes to restoring right relationship, Jesus came to restore a right relationship with us and God. That's, that's the vertical bar but the horizontal bar the outcome of of us having restored relationship with God is that we would turn and have restored relationships with one another 
God reconciled us to himself so that we would turn and be reconciled to each other. Which leads to the warnings. The warning is this. The journey of life will be much more difficult if you walk in these broken patterns of relationships. I mean, sure, God's plans will still be accomplished, but it will be a lot harder on you if you choose to do things like this. So I just want you to think in your head for a second. What's the most hurtful thing someone else has done to you? Most hurtful thing somebody else has done to you. I guarantee whatever you're thinking about right now involved manipulation, running away, fighting, revenge, and or defensiveness, maybe all of those things and more. You have a choice. You can let that hurt control you or you can let the Holy Spirit take over in your life and choose not to walk in those patterns. You know, when we walk in patterns like this, when we choose to walk in these broken patterns, it leaves a trail of hurt behind us. And this just isn't a non-Christian thing, okay? This This is in the church. We are not immune to broken relationships. This is very much alive in the church. But here's the second warning, and there's hope in it, that the journey will be much more joy-filled if you deny these broken patterns. Ultimately, what we're called to is love our neighbor as ourselves. The opposite of all of these things is loving our neighbor as ourselves. So I want to do something a little different that I've never done before in a sermon this morning, but I need you to, to, to be engaged and, and active, okay? So um, I'm going to throw up on the screen the devil's guide to relationships. And I want someone to just throw out what, what would be God's guide to relationships. So let's throw that up there. Instead of manipulate, what does God call us to do in his word? You can think about it. It's, it's okay. We can have some, some awkward silence. I'm cool with that. Cooperate. Cooperate. Good. Good. What else? Forgive. Forgive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so let's, what's that? Sorry. Peacemaking, good, good, yeah. So I put, I, I came up with answers just in case no one answered. But all of those are true as well. But to trust God, Proverbs 3, where it says, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Instead of manipulating things, let's trust Him. We don't, have to, we don't have to take hold of this thing. He's got it. All right, instead of flighting or running away, what should we do? Resolve, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, work to resolve the conflict. I put be reconciled. It literally says that in Matthew 5, 24. Jesus says, go and be reconciled. All right, the next one, instead of fighting... What could we do? What's that? Love, sure. Yeah. 
Anything else? Is there a fight? Huh? Pray. Absolutely. And maybe both those at the same time. Loving, praying. That's, that's good. I put gently, gently restore. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 just says, it says that. Gently restore. See how that's different than fighting? Gentleness. I'm working towards restoring this relationship. I'm not here to get revenge, which leads to the next one. So instead of getting revenge, what do we need to do? Huh? Forgive. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. I put, um, leave it to God. So Romans twelve nineteen says, leave vengeance to God. He's a God of justice. He is just. He will take care of it. I don't have to take it into my own hands. I can forgive them. I can offer forgiveness to them. Even though it's hard, but I've been forgiven everything, right? So I can, I can forgive them. That's the gospel working outwardly. That's the horizontal bar of the cross. All right, and then lastly, instead of getting defensive, I can do what? What's Jesus say to do? Humble. Good. Yep. Own your mistakes. Yes, good. Which is, which is this. Get the log out of your own eye. Don't just take the specks out of one another's eyes. Get the log out of your own eye. Good. You guys did great. So, the comfort, remember, is that God's plans can't be ruined. No matter how much you screw up relationally this week, God's plans are going to go forward. But the warnings, the journey will be much more difficult if you walk in manipulation, running away, getting revenge, defensiveness. But the journey will be much more joy-filled if you deny those patterns and instead trust God, pursue reconciliation, gently restore, leave vengeance to God, get the log out of your own eye first. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we have your help. Earlier we were singing about the Holy Spirit and we really need the Holy Spirit's help when it comes to relationships because they're so difficult. We, we want to do anything often but, but pursue reconciliation and gentleness. We often want to do the opposite. We want to fight. We want to get revenge. We want to manipulate. So forgive us for that, God. Thank you for your grace toward us. God, I pray that now as we sing, we would just commit ourselves to You for the coming week and You would just give us supernatural strength, God, to deny these patterns and to walk in Your ways, God. And because of it, our world that is increasingly divisive, increasingly just at each other's throats would see a different picture, a different way of true reconciliation that You modeled for us by going to the cross. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.